0: Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by Community Pastor Carrie Latticeur as we continue the series, Finding Financial Freedom. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. I want to begin today by looking at a few funny things that can stress many of us out. The first one might be a little surprising, but did you know people have a legit fear of crossing the street? Turns out for some folks, it's a real safety concern, but for others, it's about the sinking feeling that everyone is looking at them that produces anxiety. Anyone out there get nervous about crossing the street? Or how about having to make an actual phone call? Anyone get nervous about having to make a call to a real person? It used to be that making a phone call was the primary way of communicating and everyone did it. But now people prefer to text so much that they're nervous if they actually have to make a call to someone. Their palms get sweaty, their voice cracks, and it becomes hard for them to swallow. It's called phone call anxiety. And last, but certainly not least, I know many people who have a real fear of holding a baby. They get super nervous thinking they might drop or break the child. It's a real thing. Anyone here who gets nervous having to hold a baby, especially someone's newborn? I'm sure each of us has our own funny yet anxiety-producing thing. And there are some things that stress many of us out that are no laughing matter. At the top of that list is our personal finances. In fact, I wonder how many of us started sweating just a little from merely me saying personal finances. Probably a lot of us but hang with me here. Fear or nervousness is a common reaction for the majority of people when the conversation turns to personal finances. And if you think about it, that shouldn't really surprise us. For the most part, no one ever really taught my friends or me how to prepare for or manage personal finances. Other than overhearing sometimes loud money conversations between my parents coming from the dining room table, finances weren't talked about much growing up. We didn't learn about money other than that it was a source of stress in my family. And all throughout high school and higher education, personal finances were never a topic for discussion. But the good news is our personal finances don't need to be a source of stress and anxiety but rather an opportunity for freedom. You see, if you're joining us, we're in week two of a three-week series where we're covering biblical truths about finances. Three truths that if we grab hold of will lead to freedom. Last week, we unpacked the notion that less is more. If you missed it, I wanna encourage you, go back and listen to this talk on demand. And this week, we're gonna talk about how stress is bad. But in order to do that, we have to talk about a dirty four-letter word, D-E-B-T, debt, and the stress that it can cause. You see, according to the American Psychological Association, debt, within one's personal finances, is the leading cause of stress in the United States. Poll after poll continues to suggest that debt within our personal finances leads to stress for us and our family. And fam, stress is bad. And if that wasn't doom and gloom enough, allow me to go just one step further by saying that debt and shame often go hand in hand. Again, according to people surveyed in the U.S., nearly half are ashamed of debt. More than one-third say that they would be embarrassed to let others know that they are not paying off their credit card debt in full every single month. More than 40% say that they believe they will be judged by family or friends because of credit card debt. And here's the thing about shame. Shame does not appear to be any sort of deterrent when it comes to accumulating debt because the average household is presently carrying Just over $122,000 in short-term debt. Not mortgage debt, but short-term debt. Now, let me just pause here for a moment to clarify two things. First, sometimes we find ourselves in debt because of circumstances beyond our control. I have friends right now burdened by medical bills that were not covered by insurance and others who experienced long seasons of unemployment, so I get it. And second... Although debt is not God's desire, the shame that's often associated with debt is also not God's desire. God has never been in the business of shaming us. Rather, he's in the business of faith building. You see, we serve a loving God. We read James, the brother of Jesus, remind us in this way, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So please know that while shame is real and shame is often associated with debt, shame is not God's desire for you. God's desire is for us to experience joy, to persevere in our faith, and to mature, not lacking anything. Perhaps we can experience these things as we explore our financial world today. However, debt is still something that causes us all stress. And financial stress, no matter how good we might be at compartmentalizing our lives, tends to permeate them. We know stress can impact our practical lives, our relationships, even our spiritual lives. I don't wanna stress you out anymore here, but let me get a little bit math nerd with you. Uh, A couple of examples for us. Let me dive into two very practical scenarios that although they're super common in our culture, they lead to significant practical stress. Let's say you wanna buy a new vehicle, one with all the bells and whistles. After all, you've been driving around in a beater for years, you're frustrated, and you just want a car that can charge your phone, right? So after spending several hours in a dealership, a purchase price of $48,000 is agreed to. Let's say your credit score is less than favorable and the best rate available to you is 12%. At the same time, you can only afford around $900 a month. So instead of the standard 48- or 60-month loan, you end up with a 72-month term to lower your payment. Now, at this point, this might all be sounding pretty good to you, right? Because after all, you feel good about your negotiating skills, you feel good about qualifying for a loan, and you also feel good about the monthly payment. But now, let's remember a few things from just a moment ago. We know that debt is bad and that debt causes stress. So if you go through with this purchase, your monthly payment is $938 $938 multiplied by 72 months it's a grand total of $68,000 that's $20,000 more than the purchase price of this new vehicle and think about this by the time you pay off this vehicle its trade in value will be $18,000 about $30,000 in depreciation from the purchase price of 48,000 and it would be worth $50,000 less than what you paid for it. Do any of us think that's a good deal? Of course not. Those numbers scare me and they stress me out just talking about them. Now maybe new automobiles are not your thing, so how about this other practical example? If you have a $2,000 credit balance on a credit card with something like an 18% annual rate for interest, making just the minimum payment of 2% of the balance, or $10, whichever is greater, it will take you 370 months or just over 30 years to pay off the balance. Does the thought of that stress anyone else out? Friends, it takes less time to have a child and raise them to adulthood than it does to pay off a $2,000 debt with a minimum payment. I was sharing this information with a friend with no kids recently who said, Carrie, I think this means I'm still paying for mashed potatoes I ate four years ago. So again, debt is bad, and debt impacts our practical lives, as we just explored. And it also impacts our relationships. For example, in my line of work, I get to hear from a lot of people. But there are some things that I don't ever hear people say. No one ever says, ever since I got into debt, my marriage has been so much better. No one ever says, the high interest rate on my credit card helps me sleep better at night. No one ever says, every day, I thank God that I have lots of payments to make. No, people don't ever say these things. However, there are things that I frequently hear people say. Things like, I wish I could be more generous to people who are in need. Things like, I wish I could afford for one of us to stay home with the kids. People say things like, I wish I could retire early and spend my time volunteering for a nonprofit. And why do we say these things? Because many of us find ourselves in debt, and debt is bad. Because debt causes stress in our practical lives, it puts strain on our relationships, and we know debt impacts our spiritual lives. In order to speak to the stress that debt brings about in our spiritual lives, I'm going to focus our attention on a part of the Bible called Proverbs. Proverbs are God's word given to us to keep us from the pitfalls of poor choices. When you first read Proverbs, uh, that is how they appear to be written, it it sort of feels like if you do this, this will happen— But the more I've read them and the more I've studied them, I liken them to sort of a a collection of best practices. Sort of like if you do this, this tends to happen, but if you do that, then that tends to happen. One scholar puts it this way and says, "'The truisms of Proverbs are not absolute promises, but general principles based on careful observation of the human experience.'" So with that explanation, Let's dive into the Proverbs. The writer of Proverbs says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now this proverb has a dual warning here. First, it's a warning to those with resources to not exploit those with less. But it's also a warning that when we incur debt, we're sort of in bondage to the people or the institutions that we owe. As a result... We lack a degree of freedom. That's not a relationship that we should commit to lightly because sometimes that commitment affects our relationship with God. And we know it affects our relationship with God because people never say, every day I thank God for the pressure of these payments I have to make. But they say, I wish I could be more generous to people in need. And when this happens, we experience spiritual stress due to our debt, and we know stress is bad. But still, many of us don't want to face the truth of this bondage because in addition to the stress it causes is the shame we experience. We're ashamed to talk about our debt and how to find freedom, but I hope you hear this. Freedom is possible. Freedom is possible when we go to God in earnest prayer. And today I want to share with you two prayers that, with next steps attached to them, I believe could help us be free from the bondage of debt. I'll never forget my own journey of learning about financial responsibility. I moved out at a really young age and had to support myself financially. These were long days of full-time school and full-time work and trying to budget to pay my bills. Sometimes my budget was down to the dollar. It was stressful and it was tight. I couldn't afford to get sick or to miss work or rent would not be getting paid. Over time, as my income increased and I had more wiggle room in my budget, my spending started going more towards leisure. I loved a good meal out. Uh, I partied quite a bit back then. I went shopping when I was bored. It was easy to spend more when I had it, but I wasn't intentional with my money. When I found my way back to God, I knew I wanted to reprioritize how I was spending my money, how I was stewarding what I had. I recall praying something like, "'God, please help me with a plan.'" Wherever you are with your money and whether you have debt or whether you don't, this is a great prayer and a next step for all of us. And you might be wondering, what's so important about a plan? Why can't I just pay the minimums and stop adding more debt? Well, if you do and you do that but nothing else, that's a great place to start. But it's also helpful to get a handle on where you're at and how you can eliminate debt faster because like I mentioned earlier, If you only pay the minimum payments, they snowball on you and you wind up paying way more than what you originally decided was worth it. And again, look at the wisdom of God found in the book of Proverbs. We learn that the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Okay, a quick disclaimer here. God is not saying that if you find yourself living in poverty, it's always because you are hasty. And he's also not saying that diligence always leads to wealth. However, I do believe the text is saying that hastiness in the realm of our finances rarely pays off in the long run. For example, haste could look like shopping anytime you find yourself feeling sad. We often call this retail therapy, right? Or when you have a bad day and decide you need to eat out. It's basically hastiness is anytime You make decisions with your heart without consulting your head or your budget. And this haste is very common. One study showed that half of all Americans have no financial plan in place, that only 16% of us are highly disciplined financial planners, meaning that these are people who know their financial goals and have a plan in place to meet them and rarely deviate from it. Community. Here's what we need to recognize, and please don't miss this part. You can wander into debt, but you can never wander out of debt. You can stumble into debt, but you can never stumble out of debt. You can mistake your way into debt, but you can never mistake your way out of debt. And if that resonates with you as true, and maybe you're wondering what kind of plan is needed when it comes to our personal finances— Anyone wondering that? <laughs> okay, good. I plan The plan I want to talk to you about is called making a budget. Or some people prefer the term a spending plan. They establish a plan and then stick to it. My hunch is that there's a next step for each one of us regarding this plan. Some of us have never made a budget. And if you don't know where to start, maybe that's you. I want to recommend that you join us for our money and budgeting course. It's a three-week course that will walk you through how to develop a budget and how to live on a budget. This is the cornerstone to managing money well, to getting out of debt, to moving towards financial freedom. Others of us have a budget, but maybe we haven't revisited it in a while, or maybe we've strayed from our intentions that it was meant to meet. We should probably pull it back out. Make sure it still lines up with our current income and our expenses, and then recommit to getting on track with the budget. And if you're one of the few people who would be called a highly disciplined financial planner, I want to invite you to consider joining us in this. Maybe for you, that looks like serving your church family, uh, being a part of the community that runs the CAP budgeting course, maybe apprenticing to lead the budget course. Or perhaps for you, a next step in your plan is to revisit your budget with the goal of finding additional money you could use to bless other people in your life or or give to the mission here of helping people find their way back to God. Again, these steps are often the result of praying, God, please help me make a plan. The second prayer I want to offer you is, God, please give me self-control. Self-control is the ability to control our haste or the ability to say no to things that we want now in order to experience freedom. In fact, the writer of Proverbs says it this way, like a city whose walls are broken down is a person who lacks self-control. If you think about it, a city whose walls are broken down is vulnerable and unprotected. But self-control, especially in the area of our finances, allows us to stick with the plan we've already made, to move towards the financial goals we have already set. For many of us, self-control is the difference between living within our means to build up some savings for emergencies or living beyond our means, committing to debt, which keeps us in bondage. It's hard to wait, isn't it? It's hard to stick to these plans. And let me tell you, my family and I, we have had some really lean years. Years where I started to feel like the answer to our problems was just to have more money. And while more money would have eased a lot of the strain, I kept coming back to this idea that the way I handle money, when I have very few resources, would have a direct correlation to the way I handle money with more resources. I came across a story in the Washington Post that confirms what this idea is, essentially saying the way that we handle money with little resources correlates directly to how we'll handle money with a lot of resources. According to the Post, in 1988, William Bud bought 40 tickets in the state lottery. At that time, Bud had less than $5 in his bank account, but he won $16.2 million in the jackpot. Over the course of about 10 years, Bud spent and mismanaged his money to the point of having to auction off his remaining annual payouts in order to pay off his debts. Within one decade, Bud was once again scraping by. In 1993, he said, everybody dreams of winning money, but nobody realizes the nightmares that come out of the woodwork or the problems. I was much happier when I was broke. I just want peace of mind. Bud's words are a gentle reminder to us that more money won't solve our problems. For most of us, the problem isn't the amount of resources we have, but rather our ability to make a plan and stick to a plan. Maybe you've had unexpected expenses come off, and you need someone to come alongside of you and help you get out of debt Or perhaps you've had a job change and you're presently stuck in the consequences of not having a plan or needing to rework your plan. The realities and stresses of our finances impact our lives, our relationships, our spiritual lives. Let's remember this. We follow a God who wants us to experience freedom, freedom from shame and freedom from debt. We wanna come alongside of you and help you experience true freedom. This is true regardless of how much we have, because the writer of Proverbs gives us hope in reminding us that rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Would you pray with me? Father God, we acknowledge you as the maker of all of us. God, as the provider for everything that we do have, And Father, I pray as we seek to pursue financial freedom individually and collectively as a community, God, that your spirit would meet us in that. I pray that your Holy Spirit would show us what faithfulness looks like for everything that we have been entrusted with. God, we ask that where there is not enough, that you would provide more, that God, where there is an abundance, that you would show us what it looks like to steward what you have entrusted us with generously and for your purposes in this world. God, we recognize the practical implications of how we manage and steward our money. And we pray that you would meet us, that you would show us what it looks like to be faithful so that we could experience financial freedom. Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you'd like to take a next step, head to communitychristian.info. If you'd like prayer, please text the word PRAYER to 331-226-1686 and a member of our prayer team will reach out to you. To give financially to community, head to givenow.cc. Thanks for listening to the Community Online Podcast.